Hey guys, welcome to Katie Speaking Live True Podcast. I hope you're having a beautiful day. I'm Katie Smith, and on every episode of our show, we will be talking about what it means to live true to the calling God has on your life and mine in the big four categories of life and maybe some other issues too. But the big four categories being faith, finances, fitness, family, and friends. And I'm so excited to be your host, author, speaker, coach, Katie O. Smith. And I'm honored and delighted to remember the goodness of God with you and to point you toward trusting God more. I'm a kidnapping survivor, daughter of the Most High God, follower of Jesus, wife to Brian since 2000, former homeschooling mother of two, sons whom we adore, a San Diego native currently living in Nashville, Tennessee. To connect, go to katiespeaking.com. But today we are doing something a little different. I have made a promise that we are going to be covering some different issues, some different areas where God has called me to live true from a place of truth. And today that topic is my testimony. Welcome and let's pray. Father God, May my words bring you the glory that is due you. May my testimony shine a light into this dark world. May my journey inspire others that they can trust you with every area of their lives, that there is nothing that has happened to them in the past or that will happen to them in the future that is outside of your knowledge and your (laughs) perfect plan. May this story encourage them and may they share it boldly in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's cut right to the chase. When I was 11 years old, I already had a relationship with Jesus, but I um, I had waffled in the years previous to sixth grade. I had, um, I had boyfriends, or I would call them boyfriends. Um, they would be people that I were like my friend's brother or something that uh, we would get up in the middle of the night and like kiss. And, um, I got to a point where I realized that that's not who I wanted to be and that's not what I wanted to do. And somehow, even though I didn't tell my mom and I didn't discuss it with friends, I somehow knew that that wasn't God's best for me. Um, I was raised in and out of church, um, all my elementary school years, um, a culturally Christian home. We went to church on Sundays and, um, the summer before sixth grade, when I was 11, I went and spent the summer at my grandmother's house in New Mexico. She and my grandfather had moved there from San Diego and I love traveling. So I was very excited to go spend the summer <laughs> in New Mexico. And they had bought a little house um, in a neighborhood right next to the Rio Grande River. And it was a beautiful spot that summer, every day around three o'clock, there would come a monsoon rain. If you've never been in New Mexico in uh, the summer months, it's It's truly incredible. You can literally watch the storm coming from miles away. And then it will just shower this, this section of the sky. It it will just literally come down and look like the sky is touching the ground. It's just beautiful. And, and that would be the view to the West of my grandmother's house. And then to the East of my grandma or yeah, to the East of my grandmother's house were the Sandia mountains, which are absolutely beautiful and very imposing and just these incredible mountains. And then right at the foot of the mountain is the Rio Grande river. 
and her subdivision backed right up to the Rio Grande River. And so that summer, um, without the distraction of other family and being 11 years old, I got to ride my bike wherever I wanted to go, basically, or walk wherever I wanted to go. And then um, I started reading the Bible and I started reading it for myself. And I, I honestly don't remember a whole lot about what I read, but I do believe it was preparing me. So Went back to San Diego, um, started school in the fall at um, Parkway Middle School. If you're from San Diego, you might even know that school because it has a really cool sports field. Um, the late Junior Seau football charger actually uh, donated the money to build out that field um, long after I was a student there. But anyway, so um, I started the new school year with a new vision for who I wanted to be. I didn't want to do the things that I had done in the past. I didn't want to get drawn into relationships that weren't going to be good for me. Um, I really wanted to live for Jesus. In in fact, in fifth grade, um, on the heels of uh, my mom and stepdad divorcing and my brothers moving away uh, for mental health issues, I became suicidal. And so that was fifth grade. <laughs> really rough. There was like the secret boyfriend, the, uh, you know, the brothers leaving, my stepdad leaving. It was not a fun time in my life. And I, I was pretty miserable. But but then I went to New Mexico and God just captured my heart. And I started reading the Bible and I came back and my family was going back to church. Um, one of my brothers was coming back. Actually, both my brothers came home to live with us again. And it felt like a fresh start. And, um, it was, and I committed like, okay, this is how I want to show up at school. I want to be a great student. I want to be a great friend. And, um, this one particular day at the end of September, our school had these different competitions. Maybe you had this in your kid's school, or you remember this from when you were in school, but each class actually, um, represented a different team. And so, um, the competition was, who can recycle the most cans and then crush the most cans. And whoever could do that would win a a pizza party. And I was pretty excited about that because I felt like this is something I can do to contribute to my school, to contribute to my class. People will like me. I'm not sure that I was really thinking people would like me. I'm not sure I was totally aware of the pecking order, but, um, (laughs) but I, I wanted to get to school early on this one particular day in September. And normally my brother would have walked me to school, but um, he had gotten suspended the day before for fighting. So we got a call that morning that he wasn't going to be coming to school that day. And my mom who worked full-time single mom, um, she said, Katie, don't leave too early. Don't go alone. And I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Whatever. And I I left early and I, I did walk alone. I remember seeing, you know, one of my neighbors and being like, Hey, what's up? Um, I was always pretty friendly. Um, very friendly, but I didn't know that I was being followed. And I'm not really sure at what point my school wasn't that far away from where I live. So I, I'm not really sure at what point I started being followed. Um, but our, the back entrance to our school was on a hillside and you could walk up the like three flights of stairs to get to the back of the school. And at the top of the stairs, there was like a, a sports um, gate, like a chain link fence that went up a couple at least one story, maybe two, um, to keep balls and stuff from going off into the street down below. And there was a loosely chained gate back there. And that's how we would get into the sports field. It's like a shortcut into school. And uh, I had a violin case in one hand, a bag in another. um, And all of a sudden I felt a hand on my shoulder. And I was like, what is that? And I'm standing at the top of the stairs about to go into the gate. And 
I turned to my right and a man had snuck up. I never saw him before in my life. Never saw him again after that day. Um, and I was just like, what is this? And he said, don't move. And I was like, okay. Now in fifth grade, we had this thing in San Diego called dare and it stood for drug alcohol resistance education. And, uh, because fifth grade was so rough for me, um, I m- moved schools in the middle of fifth grade to be closer where my mom worked a uh, very smart move on my mom's part. Um, cause we lived about 45 minutes away from where she worked. And so I had gone through dare at my first school in fifth grade, <laughs> resisting drugs. It was the education. And then I had gone through dare again at my new school. <laughs> they had it at different times of the year. And so when this man was standing beside me, I thought he was going to make me do drugs. Like I seriously thought, Oh, this is what dare was about. <laughs> like they were trying to get us to be ready for the drug pushers. Okay. I know how to say no. And, um, I think I even said like, what are you doing? And he's like, you know, basically don't scream, don't move or I'll kill you. And I was like, okay, no, like this is not okay. And he's like, start walking. I'm like, okay. So we walked onto the back of the hillside and, um, I don't remember exactly how long it took me to figure out that he wasn't a drug pusher, that, that actually what he wanted was much more insidious. And, um, it could have destroyed me. Um, what he did next was uh, a couple of different things. Um, I did scream at one point when I realized what was going to happen, that that this man was going to try to rape me. I, I screamed, um, he hit me in the head with a rock. He put me in a chokehold at one point. Um, I did black out at one point, but I remember too looking up at the sky and praying. And I remember that God was with me and, um, I knew that God was with me and it was, it didn't take away the fear. It didn't make any of the situation less scary, but I started praying in my heart, God, if you let me get to school today, I'll do anything you want me to do. And by the way, never bargain with God. Like, don't make vows to God. Like he loves you right where you are. You can't make him love you more than he already does. And he won't love you less than he already does. There's nothing you can do to change the status of God's love for you. It's already there, um, which is really good news. Uh, But in my 11 year old heart, I was just begging God to let me get to school that day. And to my surprise, um, after the event was over, uh, or after the rape was over, he allowed me, he didn't kill me. I thought, I truly thought he was going to kill me for various reasons. He didn't kill me. And he started walking me back down to the road on the other side of the hill. And I thought, this is really crazy and bizarre. And he was like, don't tell anybody, you know, I know where you live. Um, I will kill you. I will kill your family. Um, and I was like, oh, And I think I even, I was so bold. I even said like, oh yeah, I have five brothers. And if they find out they're going to, you know, I think I even said that. And he was like, don't do it because I'll kill you. And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, But, and here's where the living true part comes in. I knew that what this guy did was wrong. And I knew that if I could just get away from him and I could report what had happened um, that that was the right thing to do, that that would be living true to tell the truth about what had happened, not cover it up out of fear, but expose it. And I was so bold. I mean, you know, that particular day, I loved French braiding my hair and my hair had, 
and most of my childhood, I had short hair, but I had finally grown my hair out to the point where I could do French braids. And so I love braiding hair. And um, so I put my hair in braids. I loved styling hair when I was younger. It was a lot of fun. And um, I had two braids and I, I remember, you know, I had all this debris from the dirt from, from where he had uh, raped me in the dirt. And it was all over the back of my clothes. You know, I had a new outfit on um, that I was pretty excited about. The outfit ended up, I had to give it over to the police because they needed it for evidence, which sucked because I was like, oh, finally got a new outfit. Now I have to give it away um, or get rid of it or whatever. It's funny how our minds work when we're 11 years old. So went back to school, went straight to the school you know, administration told them what had happened. They immediately got on the phone to the police. They handled it really well. We had a school counselor that I already knew. I still remember her name, Mrs. Garcia. She drove a, uh, like a 1970, um, red Porsche, really fun, fun car. Um, really kind woman. And she painstakingly, painstakingly took down every, um, every bit of my story of what had happened. And I'm just like weeping. Like I remember seeing kids in the hallway and they, one of my, one of my pseudo boyfriends, uh, I don't think I ever kissed this one. Um, but he saw me in the hall and he started making fun of me and I, and I was like, don't even make fun of me. You know, I kind of treated him like a brother. I was like, don't make fun of me. Um, and then just blurted out, I've just been raped. And this poor guy, I mean, I think everybody in the school needed therapy after that. I'm sure they did because, here was this person who had just been attacked and I walked into school and everyone's there, you know, it's right before the school bell rang. Um, and everyone saw me and it was really traumatic for our community. Our community did a lot of really good things. Um, and I talk about that on another podcast. It's called, um, how to deal with trauma, a blueprint. So if you want to check out what the school did, right. And what my community did, right. You can go to that podcast at katiespeakingpodcast.com. Um, one of the things that was miraculous though, is the, there were two detectives that showed up that day. One uh, was an older gentleman. And for some reason he ended up relinquishing the case and a different detective uh, met me. I think we met at children's hospital. They have a, um, uh, like an, a, a, basically a rape center where if somebody reports being raped, they can immediately go and gather the DNA evidence and process it properly so that um, you know, a case can be made. And I'm so grateful that that place existed. And so I, I'm pretty sure that's where I met Detective Todd Burgess, <clears throat> who ended up becoming a very dear friend. He and his wife, Nancy, um, were hugely influential in my, uh, <laughs> in my junior high years and um, just really beautiful people. So what do you do when you've just been attacked and you're 11 years old and um, really, I, I, I was pretty much instantly overwhelmed with, I'm damaged goods. I'm not sure I'm ever going to like men again. Um, does this mean I'm going to be a lesbian? Um, does this mean I'm going to hate men? Does this mean I'm going to hate people? You know, is this going to change my personality? Um, and I really wrestled with all of those questions for the next like year and a half, but I didn't know, I didn't have language to say, this is what I'm struggling with. So the next year was pretty brutal. Um, I talk about it a little bit in this book, which is Katie's seventh grade prayer journal and actually wrote this um, about a year and a half, almost two years after the attack. And the reason it's so phenomenal is because um, when I reread it, I was like, this is an act of God. 
God changed my heart. God did an amazing thing in me that made me want to still call out to him. And I think it's because I had already had the gospel in my heart. I already believed that what God said to me was true. So back to the detective that handled the case, um, Todd, he and his wife were committed Christians. I remember when I found that out, it was going to um, the police station for a lineup. They thought they had potential um, perpetrators. And so I had to go to, for a long, oh, it was terrible and identify people um, never found the criminal. Um, and, and actually that's going to be probably part two of this because I'm running out of time to tell you the whole story, but I found out that Todd was a Christian because he had a picture frame on his desk at work. And it was from the Michael W. Smith song, friends are friends forever. If the Lord's the Lord of them. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I love Michael W. Smith. And I love Amy Grant. And I, you know, all those, um, all those kind of forerunners to Christian music today, um, were people that I listened to and that I really admired, uh, because of their boldness and their faith and their declaring truth. And I, I really didn't know anybody who was really on fire for God, uh, but they were, and I listened to them constantly. And so, um, it only got worse because Todd and a- Todd and Nancy, <laughs> I also have a, a stepbrother and his wife, Todd and Amy, Todd and Nancy, um, they, um, had a connection to the music industry and um, shared with some of those people what had happened to me. And so even though I was living in San Diego, every time a Christian artist would come to San Diego, um, I would just reach out to those connections. They would invite me to um, get backstage passes and, and stuff for free to all these Christian concerts. It was amazing. Um, I started interviewing everybody that was there working and turns out most of them went to Belmont university and I ended up going to Belmont, uh, because of that. I, I actually wanted to be a missionary, but, um, I had an aunt who was not a Christian. She kind of made fun of me. (laughs) She did make fun of my aspirations. Um, and so I ended up being like, ah, I'm, I'm not going to be a full-time missionary, but, um, there's so many more parts of the story that I want to share with you um, that God did. So met Todd and Nancy. They connected me to the music industry. They connected me to an amazing church with an amazing youth group. And literally in this book, my prayer journal, I I name like there's a whole index at the front of this book because there's so many people that I name in this book. And I was like, this is going to be hard to read if you don't know who these people are. So there's an index of characters. I've changed all their names, <laughs> mostly, <laughs> mostly so they don't know what I said because so many of them I had crushes on. <laughs> so God was already working. He was already being like, no, you're not going to be destroyed as a woman. You're not going to be destroyed as a daughter of the king. You're not going to be destroyed as a future wife. You're not going to be destroyed as a future mother. Praise God. And this is why it's so important that our young people know Christ. This is why it's so important that our young people are raised with the word of God. Because if you don't know what God says about you, then when you come into a situation like this where your identity is questioned, you don't know what's true. And the voices in our head, the voices in our culture, the voices in the world get really loud. So uh, you just heard my timer go off. I'm going to have to do part two later, but, but this concludes part one coming up in part two, coming up in part two is how this event directly contributed to me meeting my husband 
and the family that we ended up building together. Also, a lot of people have asked, you know, oh, no wonder you homeschooled. It was because this happened. But that's not true. I did not homeschool because of this happened. I homeschooled because I I felt called to homeschool. And you can hear more of that story. Um, but I'll, I'll share it on another podcast, too. Um, and then also the perpetrator, the person who committed the act against me. My brother told this story about what he thinks happened to him. And I'll tell you that on part B of this podcast. For now, whatever trauma has happened to you, whatever trauma happens to those around you, the most important thing you can do for them is number one, pray. And number two, for you to live truly from a place of being anchored in who God says you are. That is the number one thing you can do for the people in your life. And we'll talk about that more in the future. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. I would love to hear from you. If this affected you, I want to know. Katie at katiespeaking.com. It's K-A-T-I-E-S-P-E-A-K-I-N-G.com. And I'll be back with you on part B.